I'm Matt. I'm Melissa. I'm Elise. And together we want to welcome you to Still Great Bob. If this is your first time joining us, together we are watching AMC's Mad Men, trying to answer the question, is it Still Great Bob? This week we're discussing Season 3, Episode 10, The Color Blue, written by Kira Gordon and Matthew Weiner, directed by Michael Uppendahl. This episode originally aired on October 18th, 2009. Programming notes before we get started here. Annie sadly couldn't be here today, so we asked past guest Elise to step in for this episode. You'll remember Elise from our season one episode, Nixon vs. Kennedy. Elise, what was at the box office this weekend when the episode aired? The hit movies were Where the Wild Things Are, Law Abiding Citizen, and Paranormal Activity. And the hit song, well, we have a new number one this week. It was Down by Jay Sean featuring Lil Wayne. I'm too uncool. I don't know this song. I think that this is one that might get sampled. Um. So in this episode, Don and Suzanne get closer. Betty gets closer to Don's secrets. And Sterling Cooper is for sale. So I think to like get into the episode, we're going to start kind of with that Sterling Cooper stuff because this is such a inconvenient, not inconvenient, but um, just like this is not this is this is not a great episode for Annie to be missing because Lane's back. I thought of that, too. <laughs> <laughs> Lane is back. Lane's wife is miserable. She's, like, in a country that she doesn't know anyone, and she doesn't have any friends or family, and I just, I hate how Lane is treating her like she's being unreasonable. Having been the person in a place without friends or family, it's literally the worst. I just, he's so dismissive of her, and I'm, like, I feel so bad for her. I just want to give her a big hug. She's like, do you have enough to get me to London? Because this is not my home. So correct me if I'm wrong, but wasn't he about to get shipped somewhere else? Yeah. Yes. He was going to go to India, I believe. And then that guy, I forget his name. It might have been Guy. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I realized that after. Um, When Lois ran over Guy's foot with the John Deere, that whole deal got canned. So Lane was no longer going to India. Right. But if they sell. But I mean, all the time I was just thinking about that whenever his wife was talking about like, now we can get to go back to London. And I'm like, oh, hopefully, I guess. Like, <laughs> well, I think that. Yeah. She, oh, go ahead. Sorry. Oh, I was just saying, yeah, she made us make a point of saying that Lane does whatever the company wants. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Matt, you can continue. I was done. Lane works for Putnam Powell and Lowe, who bought Sterling Cooper, who are now putting it up for sale. So Rebecca Price's, I think, implication is that, yeah, Lane will go wherever Putnam Powell and Lowe sends him, but he wouldn't be part of the deal with with to sell Sterling Cooper, right? Um, and it's kind of interesting to me, as we're, we're getting kind of more insight, and this is, I think, our first time having a little mini section or tidbit on Lane and the notes, is it definitely seems to me that Lane has bought into this whole concept of the American dream, kind of this this American capitalist dream, where he has this opportunity, he feels, to redefine himself. He can be himself, or the version of himself that he wants to be, free of kind of the 
cultural and societal norms and structures that he came from in British society. And I think one of the most kind of indicative insights into into this position of Lane's is when he and Rebecca are talking about how different New York is from London, he makes a comment how no one's asked him where he went to school, obviously referencing the whole concept of, you know, British kind of finishing either finishing schools or like, you know, boarding schools, you know, the kind of a lot of them are called colleges, like, say, Eton College, where, where a lot of the royals went. Um, but that whole kind of thing that Hogwarts is based on the pull from like the Harry Potter thing, right? That whole like boarding school culture. Oxford College. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm actually rereading the Crazy Rich Asians um, series right now, and they're constantly um, the rich people are constantly like comparing what schools they went to and they most of them went to school in britain so it's it, it really ties into that it made me think of that also yeah so lane can can be free of kind of the expectations coming like because i mean we don't know where like lane went to school but maybe it's not as nice as some of the other people in those same circles where it's like he can just be lane and and be successful and be rich and and whatever and it's Tying and relating to that, um, when Rebecca comments how this might be their opportunity to move back to to Great Britain, um, I'm wondering about how much Lane has has learned and internalized of his his American counterparts and coworkers and how they define themselves. And well, we'll get into this more later. But we've talked about before how Don very much is that whole thing that Bert. Re- mentions to him back in in season one when when peter tries to to gotcha him with the the shoebox that comes up against again this episode where a man is whatever room he's in and i i wonder how much lane's internalized that that kind of perspective and being like i am now lane price american businessman and how much he's seeking to define his own new identity um relates to includes or more likely doesn't include Rebecca Price. I I found um, Lane's interpretation of the American dream to be very superficial, which I think isn't really far from the co- actual concept of the American dream. Like he's telling Rebecca how great his salary is, the company's doing well, he can buy his wife this beautiful gown for the 40th anniversary party they're having for Sterling Cooper, and it just. It makes me wonder, like, yes, he's excited that he doesn't have to, you know, answer where he went to school with all the time. But I I can't see substance in what he thinks he's gained. I don't I don't know. It doesn't. It just seems very a very superficial outlook. And like being drawn into that that whole thing of just being powerful i guess and being able to do whatever you want to which i think also is tied into the whole concept of the american dream when elise is talking about um like superficial american dream stuff that i feel like that is kind of maybe a little bit what roger is experiencing here like i don't want to necessarily say i don't I don't know why I'm doing this, but I don't necessarily want to judge Roger and Jane's relationship. Like, we don't see a lot of them. So to say, like, oh, Roger's superficial relationship with, like, pretty young Jane, like, 
that's a judgment that I don't know if we're completely qualified to make, although I think it would probably be a little fair. Um, but I just think that there is potential that like Roger fell into that kind of like superficial, like American dream. I want to be able to do like whatever I want without any responsibilities and for everything to like look pretty. I could show off my cute young wife and like we get this scene with them in the limo and it just does not seem to be going amazing. Um, I, I thought that scene, obviously that scene's played for laughs and dementia is not funny at all, but half of me was like, is Roger's mom like putting this on? Like where she's like calling Jane Margaret and when they correct her to say that Jane's Roger's wife, or <laughs> she's like, does Mona know? It was like, I was hysterical, even though obviously dementia is not funny, but that scene really worked for me. Yeah, I thought it was funny also. Like, and it just... I don't necessarily, like, want Jane to suffer, but, like, Roger suffering and having things be awkward at home is, like, funny to me. <laughs> <laughs> I don't disagree with that. Um, another, like, Lane scene that I found really funny is when he was practicing his um, speech for the anniversary party and in front of John Hooker and John goes or I guess John told him it was a rousing speech and Lane's like Churchill rousing or Hitler rousing because <laughs> I was like not on the same level but I'd say both of those men are not great Bob yeah and I mean listeners if you're ever curious to do more more reading about kind of the the reality of of Winston Churchill and in, in, in contrast to I think a lot of historical revisionism that that kind of surrounds Churchill as well, just kind of like a quick diatribe. So the Bengal famine of 1943, which was a direct result of the policy failure of the Churchill government, contributed to the death of, of at least three million people, and that's just just one one incident. So uh, yeah, no, I just thank you, Elise, for uh, calling that out. Yeah, somebody tell Lane he needs to update his references. <laughs> Like the next thing we have here in the notes to discuss, uh, stays at we're staying at Sterling Cooper because we get, um, we get like enough finally enough of Peggy doing things for her to get her own section back in the episode, which is exciting. It's it's um, been a minute. It's been a yeah, minute. Yeah, it has been a minute, and I could probably do without this like stressed, manic sweaty Paul Kinsey but I guess if that's what, if that's where he is right now that's okay like um at the point when never Peggy's being like so reasonable she's like dude like Peggy Peggy is really like when we're working on an account together like if you succeed I succeed you know what I mean like when yeah. she saves his idea and Don's like all right cool go with that like in her mind that's a victory for both of them and she tells Paul like no one's keeping score and he says oh I am and I'm like of course you are yeah like she's much more of a team player than he is he's very jealous of her yeah and also I think that jealousy like causes him to say this thing about like oh wearing a dress isn't gonna help you with western union and i'm like okay so you are now equating wearing a dress with like being a woman which is problematic so bye and also 
Are you really insinuating that being a woman is giving Peggy an advantage, like, with anything that has ever gone down in this office? Because, like, Paul, you don't you don't really think that. Like, yeah. <laughs> please tell me you don't really think that. <laughs> Paul's really good at, like, creating rivalries and scorekeeping in his head right so it's like he's he's lost or has moved on from his rivalry with with ken because ken's now co-head of accounts with pete right so it's like he's not worried about his 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 right rival in accounts as a as a published author like he was earlier but he and Peggy ostensibly have the same job, so that's why he's scorekeeping there. Peggy's not. But it's like, in, I'm sure internally in his own mind to build himself up and, you know, try to soothe his own, self-soothe his own insecurities. He's keeping score, but he's probably okay when Peggy gets quote-unquote <clears throat> wins on something like Aquanet or um is it playtex is that the bra company they yeah. work with and like and like th- those kind of things so like I'm not, yeah <laughs> exactly so i'm not i i'm not co-signing anything kinsey says or does in this episode but mm-hmm. i think it i think that comment is an insight into his his psyche and how it's like he's self-soothing <laughs> by pigeonholing peggy is just you know she can have the women's brands, but I'm the superstar in in the other realms when we're talking about telegrams with Western Union, and that's that's proven to be far from the case. Um I do think Michael Gladys's performance in this episode as as Paul Kinsey was was very good, especially mm-hmm. when he's he's pulling the all nighter and everything else like that. Like I think it's it's not it's uncomfortable and it's bad, but it's also kind of fun to watch because of just the way that Gladys kind of does some of that more slapsticky stuff and his his portrayal of it. So it's it's entertaining to watch even as I'm cringing inside at the same time. <laughs> I really found the back and forth of um Peggy doing her job quote unquote responsibly and then Paul getting drunk to be interesting. I truly don't think that there's like a wrong or right way to do this kind of work. I'm I've never worked in advertising, but obviously they get inspiration when they get inspiration. But um, it was just interesting to see, like, they, de- the show definitely wanted you to think that Peggy was, like, doing her homework properly and that Paul was, like, goofing off or whatever. Because mm-hmm. there was the one scene where, like, I'm not sure was Paul going to masturbate in his office because he gets out, like, a hanky, it looked like, and starts unbuttoning so his pants. Worried when it cut from him unbuttoning his pants to yeah. like Peggy walking through the office, I was like, if this goes to that place, I'm turning off this. Yeah, I episode. didn't like. <laughs> I did not. I would not want to see that. And then the next scene, he um, goes into the kitchen and shakes Achilles, the janitor's hand, and I'm like, you didn't wash your hands. Oh God, it's just it's so gross. Really not great. <laughs> Um, this would have been a perfect time to call Jeff the drug dealer and get him back in the mix. So, (laughs) missed opportunity. I'm disappointed. I love that scene so much. (laughs) I think you're the only person I know that, like, remembers Jeff's name. And I just, like, really like, I really like him. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, everybody in his family is named Achilles. I thought it was kind of funny when he's like, they say Achilles when we're at a family party and 100 (laughs) people turn. And I'm like. 
That's funny. <laughs> <laughs> Made me think of like George Foreman or something. Didn't he have like a bunch of? Oh yeah. I don't remember the story. Like, didn't that. he name a bunch of his kids George Foreman? I think so. <laughs> and I guess just a quick comment on the, on the Achilles thing. I thought that his conversation with. Paul, after Peggy had left the office, was was interesting. Where, where he's like, "Are you Greek?" He's like, "Well, I'm American." Blah 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 blah. So like that that whole the the coding there was was interesting to me. But also Achilles being named after the um, figure of of Greek myth and and Greek literature um, in the in the Iliad and you know very much not 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 to spoil Homer. Spoiler alert for Homer. <laughs> um, <laughs> But again, the Iliad's much about kind of it starts about telling you a song about the the rage of Achilles, um, but also like Achilles can be very pride prideful, and then a fall comes and you know the the gods kind of punish him cosmically and 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 punish the Greeks because you know Achilles acts pridefully um, and kind of goes against what what they want and and things like that. It's, it's been a minute since I read the Iliad, but uh, I also thought that was interesting to put in an episode and not to get too far ahead of ourselves, but our episode we have all these talks about you know rousing speeches and the episode ends with a rousing speech um and we have all this anger or this this character named achilles and talking about pride and falls and falls but pride coming before falls and cosmic justice i i wondered if it was a bit of foreshadowing um especially as i don't think Especially as, you know, we're episode 10 of, of 13 for the season. And I think this episode was a lot about moving the pieces in place for kind of our, our final act of season three of Mad Men. So I just wanted to, to clock that for, for everyone, the whole Achilles thing. Um, Even though he was a total jerk to Peggy um, throughout the episode, I really did feel bad that Paul never wrote down his idea. Mm-hmm. Um I really that has happened to me so many times and not even necessarily with work just in general and um keeping notes is great <laughs> um I was cracking up in the morning when he was looking for his notes and Lois comes in like I love that Lois still has a job after running over a guy's foot with the John Deere like hmm. I know it was an yeah. accident, but it, that was so careless. Like, I can't imagine that person would still work there. Um, but yeah, he was, like, having a panic attack. And she's, like, trying to help. But I, he was nasty to her, but I also didn't think he, that she was really being that helpful. Yeah, that was just a um, a bad moment for them to be together. <laughs> it was a, not a good meshing of, like, both of their personalities at the yes. moment. <laughs> Um, I like when they go, when Peggy, like, gets Paul and is like, come on, you know, we've all failed before. I'm like, you, like, I, you have a point about Peggy that I think is really interesting, um, that I think that this kind of leads into, but, like, Peggy is just the best. She's a team player. Like, all of these people have, like, said things to her, um, that I would have been like, well, never again will I look out for you. Like, you know, but Peggy is not that type of person. She just is like, come on, like, we've all failed before. Like, it's going to be fine. Like, it's going to suck, but it's going to be fine. We got to do it. And I just, like, love that. She's really great. I would genuinely want to be friends with her. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I just, I think Peggy's really good at reading people, 
though not necessarily in relation to herself. Earlier in the episode, mm-hmm. she she makes a claim that Don hates her, and but I don't I don't see what she's saying. Which obviously Paul didn't see what she was saying either. Well, like Don did yell at her last time we saw them interact together. Right, but I don't think it was. I don't remember what scene that was, to be honest. But I don't think that that is indicative of like their entire relationship. Oh, I to- I totally agree. But I do. I would. I could. I could see her still being sore. It wasn't when Don was like, "How dare you come in here and ask about being on Hilton?" Oh yeah, yeah. I I, I remember now. Um, I just she's such. She has really good instincts. Mm-hmm. Um, she encouraged Paul to tell Don what happened and. And she was right. He really yeah. understood. Yeah. And I was, I liked that moment for Dawn too. Um, yeah. Briefly. I felt like they were all a team in that moment. Yeah. They were just bonding over like the shitty stuff that just happens at work sometimes. Which is good bonding. Yeah. Um. Okay. Do we have any more Sterling Cooper stuff? Or are we ready to move on to outside of the office? All right, I think we're good. Um, we see Betty is like feeding these kids breakfast, and Carla mentions like getting whatever from the market by her church. And Sally's like, why don't we go to church? And they have this conversation. And then Betty is like, well, we don't need to go to church every week. And I'm like, Betty, are you implying that Carla? does need to go to church every week for some reason like some people need to do that and some people don't need to do that like it would be so easy for you to just explain that people choose how often they feel in their soul they would like to go to church but like it's so typical for Betty to a not give full attention to her child and b not care about what you are unintentionally like insinuating about Carla and her need to go to church every week like that was just the writing in that was just like so weird to me it it was weird but it it now that you're saying this it reminds me of the scene I guess I don't remember the last episode or the episode before where Betty was like oh well maybe civil rights doesn't need to happen now and I just <sighs> felt like it was a similar a similar thing yeah she just like says things and I just don't think she ever thinks about, yeah, you know, the the most surface level of like what she's saying, and like, and they usually are things that would be negative about either Carla or Sally. <clears throat> I think yes, most of the time. Yes, I definitely agree. And this moment with Sally, like comes back for me in this episode in like a negative way um I said this off pod but like I don't love the writing in this episode so I apologize to the listeners who have to listen to me talk about that (laughs) that might not be like the most fun thing I mean I don't think you should apologize for that but um I kind of was hysterical when the phone rang and the person hung up on Sally and both Don and Betty were shook worried about (laughs) who might be on the phone call like normally betty would be like really suspicious of don but these Mm -hmm. this time they were both like nervous for themselves yeah yeah and i think that this is kind of like another betty parenting miss which i shouldn't even track these but you know (laughs) 
whatever. Um, she's like, Sally, don't take everything so personal. And I'm like, Jesus Christ, Betty, talk about taking things personally. Um, but I was just happy about Sally, who like very accurately reads the situation and is like, geez, Louise. <laughs> Like, what is the deal? And I'm like, Betty, you have to be smoother if you are going to have people you think might be calling you and hanging up. Like, come on. <laughs> I found it interesting when she called Henry to check if it was him that called. And he was just like, if you want to call me, call me. I'm not playing a game here. Mm-hmm. And I was like, he's very serious. Yeah. And I... um. I think that this episode just put me in a more like anti-men space than I maybe normally am, if that is believable. Um, but I because I like support what he's saying. Like, I'm not playing a game. Like, if you want to call me, call me. I'm not going to call you because you said that you weren't here for this. Like, I just don't love his attitude here. Like, the way that he's saying these things is has such, like, a superior air to them. Just, like, for me, that I was like, mm, okay, Henry, like, I don't like this. <laughs> like, you're not that much better than her, you know? Like, I might just be extra sensitive. <laughs> no, I, I think his tone definitely... Um showed some of what you're reading because I feel like he's kind of like making fun of her or like he seems just like he has like an inside chuckle with himself oh silly Betty thinks I would call her house like you showed up there okay like yeah it's not one-sided and I don't disagree with him like I understand that he's not playing a game and like that's great you should not let people play games with your feelings if that's not what you're interested in but don't be mean like I don't know <laughs> Betty projects onto her surroundings a lot and like definitely with Sally and it's just like I I like Carla a lot and I think Deborah Lacey's performance as Carla is is really good I just am especially in the context of kind of our our wrong long running theme on you know Mad Men talking about race and civil rights in the 1960s and things like that. And I'm, I'm happy that that Carla is, is on the show, but it's like, she functions to be a lot of the time, the, the target for the more affluent white folks, whether it be, you know, grandpa Jean as, as, you know, in his, in his dementia, you know, and, and the whole missing money thing, or, you know, someone for Betty to lash out at. It's it's like, I don't know. I don't, I like Carla. I like Deborah Lacey's performance as Carla. Um, I wish Carla had more to do where we got more insight into Carla's interior life. Um, I agree with that. I wish we could see her family and see that dynamic. That would be really interesting. And I really like the performance and the actress too. And she, I I have noticed on um, social media, she always talks really highly of, um, I can never pronounce the actress that plays Sally's name. Karen Shipka? Yeah, but she's always talking about how like lovely it was for them to do scenes together, which I think is really nice. Yeah, that is really nice. Oh, 
young Sally. She's so cute. <laughs> and it's like just continues to be wild that like I just watched her play like Lucifer's child on Sabrina. <laughs> <laughs> so uh Betty um like gets more than she bargained for in this episode, I think. Yeah, I would agree with that. Um Don she- finally makes a mistake, which is thrilling. <laughs> It's thrilling for us, and it was very thrilling for Betty. Yeah. The face that she made when, after finding his keys in, I guess it was in his robe in the dryer, and the turning of the key in the secret drawer that she'd been trying to get into for years, finally, the key works. The smile on her face was insane. She was so excited. She was like, oh, my God, like, what am I going to find? Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, and then- <laughs> you have to actually find it. And, like, that sucks almost every time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, she found everything. She found the pictures, the deed to Anna's house, the divorce. So she's learning all this information. Do we think that, like, does she have this all put together or, like? I mean, I don't know if, if she does yet. Like, like, we know as the audience, but, like, Seeing the um, <clears throat> excuse me, the certificate of divorce and the two names and the two sets of dog tags and everything else, like she has questions, and I think she knows that Don's been, she knows that Don's been lying to her. She knows about, you know, at least some of the affairs, the affair with Bobby, Bobby Barrett last mm-hmm. season, and and that she knows that Don lies to her. She's known that for a long time, but I think what she knows now and what she's found lock away. She's finally broken into the part of Don that he literally and both metaphorically has locked away from her and has been lying to her about since day one. So I don't think she knows necessarily the like all the details we know about the whole Dick Whitman, Don, Mm -hmm. Don Draper, Anna Draper thing, but she like I think it's mostly the the betrayal that you know that not only has Don been lying to her the last three years since Mad Men's been a show, um, but like their entire relationship. So it, it's, like, it's like it seems like it like what she might think that the lie is is that like he was married previously and like that's a that's a lie like that's a big lie but that's not as big of a lie as like. You used to be Dick Whitman and then you stole someone's identity and then you bought his widow a house and then you had to get divorced from her so that you could continue on with your new identity. Like, that's a big one. Yeah, I'm assuming she at least is like my husband was married before and paid for a house for his Mm -hmm. ex-wife. And I don't, in this moment, in any case, I don't think she's, it's clicked for her, maybe the entire picture of what happened or what, you know, what his lies are. Yeah, which, I mean, she wants to find out, but, like, Don just straight up is like, oh, I don't have to even come here. I know, that was so, that was like, oh, that's so devastating, because it's like, she makes a plan, takes the kids out, or, like, has Carla take the kids to the park as she finds it, then they go to bed, and she's just ready there at the table, Ready, like worked up the courage to like confront Don about this betrayal, and he ends up driving his girlfriend's brother to Massachusetts. Like, 
Yeah, the juxtaposition of like him doing something like one of the like maybe one of the like like ni- nicest might not be like the correct term because he's doing it for selfish reasons, which is to make him feel better about what happened without him. Um, but we see him do this thing for someone else, which we don't always see him do. And then we see Betty. Like that happens a lot in this episode. Like we see Betty tell him like, oh, I know that you're like working so hard. Da, da, and it's like cut to him being with Suzanne. And that happens a bunch of times. And so it's like, Don's doing this nice thing. Oh, great. Rah, rah, Don. Um, make yourself feel better. Do, like, something for someone. But then it's like, this is potential. This is, like, one of the worst things that he's done to Betty because not only is she, like, found out about this betrayal, but she's dealing with it alone. And, like, he's not even showing up. Yeah, she was definitely ready to have it out with him. And then... Obviously, once that passed, I say moment, but it was clearly the entire night. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he calls her in the morning and she's, you know, telling him she might not go to the party later. And he's like, what's wrong? And she's like, what's wrong? And I've I've been in that situation so many times mm-hmm. where, A, like, explaining everything on the phone is not the place for that conversation. But also, it's so overwhelming that you don't even know. Even if you knew last night, you don't even know how to, like, broach the subject because it's just so much. And she was, I think, hoping to, like, not have to actually say the words. Like, he was going to see that box and, like, be like, oh, that's what is wrong. Oh, like, totally. Right. Yeah. So, Melissa, as as someone watching Mad Men for the first time, we know when Dunn doesn't come home, she puts the box away you know, she doesn't tell him what, what's wrong on the phone. And then they go to the the party together. Um, what do you think is going to happen? Is Betty still going to con- confront Dawn? Will she file this away for a bit to, you know, pull out at a later time? What do you what do you think Betty's next steps are? I don't know, because it's like she is she just is giving off like very unhappy vibes Um at the house when she's in her dress to go to the party at the party. Like I, I don't know. Like it's not unheard of for her to just like lock this all down and like try to just continue on with her life. But I kind of think that maybe she's done that for the last time. And maybe that's just like my hope that she's not just going to like let this go. I think that this is something that's going to like, kind of eat at her so like maybe she's not gonna like right after the party be like what the hell is this but I feel like it's gonna be kind of hard to hide like her emotions about this so I think it'll come out like sooner rather than later just about anything oh I was gonna say no you're fine I just was like I know what happens (laughs) (laughs) um on a more positive note can we just talk about how amazing Betty looked, even though she was clearly miserable the whole night? That dress was yeah, she beautiful. Did look great. But it also looked like something that would be like a material on a couch. But I think mm. that that's also just the style of the '60s. But I want that couch and that dress. <laughs> it seems like, um, I mean, Don gets his wish because he's like, "I want to show you off, Bets," and I'm like, "Okay, like." I'm sure you thought that was, like, a nice thing for you to, like, say to her, but that's literally all you want Betty for. 
Yeah. And like she doesn't know that. And so she doesn't even realize like what you're actually saying to like her in this moment. Like I hated it so much. But like you got what you wanted because she looks fucking amazing. Now she can be his arm candy. Yeah. Vomit. Yeah. Um, I also wanted to point out that when the driver arrives to pick them up to go to the party, Bobby, uh, Elise, just talked about myself in the third person. I was cringing, but Bobby's mm. like, the driver is Chinese. And I I'm know. Like, I don't know why, why he's in here. And even if this is something a child in the 60s would point out, which I, I don't know why they would, but also I didn't live then. I just... This was not needed. They could have just cut the scene. I don't know if they just like wanted to give the actor that played Bobby a line in the episode or that's why they threw it in there. But it was really random. Yeah, it's just like random and like unneeded and like just kind of bizarre. Yeah, I didn't like it. I mean, Bobby's a middle child now. So like I think all of his bizarreness, we can just (laughs) chalk up to that. Sorry, middle children. Please don't at me. Don is, like, telling Betty... Don is having, like, a full-blown, full-time affair with Suzanne. And he's, like, using Hilton as a cover. Which I'm like, it's really ballsy to use him as a cover when he calls your house all the time. I thought about that. And now this this affair seems to be serious enough where his phone service is calling Suzanne's house instead of his house so i thought that connie was like personally calling his home so did he have to tell conrad hilton hey don't call my house number like i'm using a service now i either that or he just straight up was like i have a new number forget the whole i don't know i i couldn't figure that out i don't remember him ever having a phone service before this but it seems yeah. like this affair has gotten serious enough where he thought that that was a good idea. But it also, I mean, he could use the I have a baby excuse. Yeah, that's true. Because I mean, I mean, it makes sense. Like you would have to do something. It's like I'm not when I'm telling my mom I'm staying somewhere when I'm staying somewhere else. I'm not telling her I'm staying at someone's house like in which she is friends with the parents. And if they run into each other like at the <laughs> grocery store, it's going to be a conversation. You know what I mean? Like. <laughs> Are you still lying to your parents, Melissa, about where uh, you sleep at night? No, not so <laughs> much anymore, but... <laughs> I'm kidding. I did that also. This is the one podcast that I do that my mom doesn't listen to, so... <laughs> but if she ever does listen to it, like, I mean, it's okay. I was always staying at my friend Jen's house. Sometimes I actually was, but a lot of times I definitely wasn't. Yeah. It be like that sometimes. And, you know, Don understands. Uh, But when he's, like, saying, like, oh, she's like, you're working too much. She's like, I don't have a choice. And I'm like, why would you even say that? Like, you don't have a choice to what? Like, to lie to Betty about it? Like, you don't have a choice to have an affair? Like, you have no choices whatsoever to, like, be or not be a completely, like, trash garbage person? Like, Don, aren't you tired? So tired. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I'm tired. <laughs> I feel like A, Don has some sort of, I don't know why I like keep like A, B, whatever. Uh, is I'm convinced Don has like a teacher fantasy. Like he like called her Miss Farrell and he told her no one feels as good about what they do as you do. And it was like very, I feel like he's fantasizing that if he's 
living his life adjacent to this um, person who's seems genuinely good and that he like is a better person for it almost like he wants some of that to rub off on him I don't know if that makes any sense um but they're actually I don't know this is this is kind of gross but like if they weren't deceiving Betty and like lying to everyone I feel like they were a little cute together (laughs) Maybe I have Stockholm Syndrome or something. I mean, like, I think that these, like, archetypes could work together. So, like, that all makes sense to me. Like, the person that Don is, you know, if he was, like, a single person, you know, without a wife and kids, (laughs) it would be be different. And I think it's interesting as well that we kind of see two versions, or not kind of, I I think that we see two versions of Don in this episode directly in his, in relationship to Suzanne. Right. So we see that, that Don Draper at kind of his worst, that kind of cold controlling Don, very concerned about, you know, appearances and and barriers and like ultimately is being controlling. And then we see a, a more warmer, kind of carrying Don. And and again, we, we've touched on this before, and maybe it's not coming from fully altruistic purposes and it's coming from, you know, him his his own own grief and, and regret as it relates to to Adam and seeing, you know, Suzanne's little brother as like a surrogate Adam. But he is Don is really warm and, and caring with, with Suzanne too and, and seems to like genuinely want to be there and is showing a a warmness to her that we have never seen him give to Betty, which is where I'm, where I'm frustrated. And I'm sure it probably existed when he and Betty got together. Cause I'm thinking back to that, that flashback of where, um, Don slash Dick asked Anna Draper for the divorce when he, he met Betty in that flashback back in season two, I think it was. Um, mm-hmm. so I'm sure he did was a, that version of Don to Betty at some point. It's just a really stark contrast to me that, Betty only gets that first dawn and Suzanne gets this this other dawn. And I don't I don't know if thinking about the other two kind of mainline affairs that Don's had, either with Rachel Mankin or, or in season one or Bobby Barrett in season two, don't know if we've quite seen that that level of warmth and caring and compassion almost from Don with a woman like we saw with Suzanne. I think with Rachel there's definitely um Don stripped off some of the uh, some of the mask with her, but I don't think he was ever quite. I don't think he ever quite did anything for Rachel in the same way that he's, you know, doing something actively for for Suzanne in this episode. Right. Like, I think he was still like seeking something from Rachel and not really giving. I don't know. Am I making sense? I totally get what you're saying and I I would agree and I would wonder I would I would suggest maybe part of it would be the fact that Suzanne doesn't seem as hesitant about the affair as Rachel did so I feel like Don might be reacting partially to that or maybe this this is the next progression of I think what he has with Suzanne right now is what he wanted to have with Rachel but Suzanne seems more accommodating to the situation of he's married and he has kids. I mean, she says at the one at one point when she meets him on the train, 
um, as long as I know you're with me. And um, you had some interesting thoughts on that. But I, I really think that the fact that she's so available and like understands that he's married and that he they can't be out in the open means that I think Don's just getting more of what he wants out of this because Suzanne's letting him. Right. No, that that's that's interesting and that makes sense. Whereas like Suzanne is in this relationship with Don seemingly full what like eyes open and it like I think Bobby and Rachel were were too, but you're right in that I think <laughs> that that Don and Suzanne seem to be on a similar page as to to what this is and, and the limits of this relationship. And whereas like Rachel got Rachel Mankin got to a point where she's like, where's this going? No, I'm not running away with you. Like, you know, and kind of soured on the whole thing. Like Suzanne seems to be content with it to the extent of like, she's like, as long as you're, you're with me. Right. And like, I think ultimately my read on that is that it's, it's emotionally um, because she's, she's aware of the complex nature of their relationship. And she always wants Don to care and be present for her emotionally, especially because he can't always be there for her physically. Um, but I mean, well, if you want Don Draper to, to care and be emotionally present, um, well, Good yeah, point. I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so, um, Suzanne and Don have this conversation about like Suzanne's student asked her something and she didn't know the answer. And so she was like, oh, I told him the truth. I told him that I didn't know. And like this coming kind of right off the scene with like the Betty Sally Church thing. And my thought was, Betty, you should just tell her the truth. Like it would be beneficial for her and for your relationship and for how you were coming across Scarla. But no. So the fact that those two things happened, it felt like somewhat intentional. Like this was written for us to compare these women, like pitting them against each other, like through their like children skills. And I just, I don't like, why? I just, I don't see the point of comparing these two women together. Like, why do we need to compare and contrast and like pit these women together? Especially why do we need to do it when it comes to like how they treat children? Because Don does not give a shit about their like mothering instincts. Like, and it it shouldn't even be about, I don't know. This was very frustrating to me. This is one of those things where I'm like, I don't trust Matthew Weiner's intentions when he's writing these women. So I'm like, why are you? setting them up to be like contrasted against each other. I wonder if that also relates to the trap I fell into when I was like, if they weren't deceiving everyone, they would be cute together. Like I almost wonder if it was put in there so that we would be like, Oh yeah. Don and Suzanne seem really great together. Like to make us think that it, it wasn't bad that he was doing this and deceiving everyone. Yeah, Suzanne is so Suzanne has such a good instinct with children while we've watched Betty like be not great at parenting. Like it's just ugh, it's gross. Sorry, I mean I I I'm chuckling cuz this is the the awkward being quiet where Matt can't say anything part. Why can't you say anything? Cuz you know things. 
Yep. Because <laughs> what you want to say is things you know? Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> okay, fair enough. <laughs> fair enough. Yeah. Um, the, I would just want to, like... The I just want to know that you're with me thing. It's like, do I want to read that? Is like, I just want to know that you're with me. Like, I'm the most important. Like, it doesn't matter if you have work or if you have a family and a marriage. I'm number one. Or if it's like what you guys are saying, like, I just want to know that, like, you're with me. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I think that it's fair, like, to give Suzanne some credit that like she just wants an emotional she wants like an emotional partner and she's okay being independent you know physically throughout most of her life you know you would have to be to sign up for this relationship whether she actually did sign up for this relationship or not is kind of remains to be seen because you know I think that this whole thing is kind of sketchy but okay (laughs) (laughs) I think the show wants us to feel like it is and I mean I think your your mileage will vary on the effectiveness of that especially you know we which we talked about last episode but yeah I think I think the show wants us to read it that way but oh I also wanted to point out just that I think when earlier when Don was talking about Suzanne's hair and um, it's very similar color to Rachel so which Mm -hmm. I mean obviously Bobby Barrett looked um had a different look to her like her hair was lighter and everything but it just felt like don really had a has a type and or you know physically and betty is not anywhere close to that so i found that to be kind of interesting yeah Uh, that makes me think about don saying that he wants to show off betty like your your public wife is this like like blonde like not that there's anything wrong with yes like not there's anything wrong with being this but this like blonde perfect everything's put together like pristine like barbie character and your secret affair emotional lady is a dark-haired independent like other person like you don't think that these women are good enough to come to your like work parties don Draper? you piece of shit I think those are real tropes. Um, yeah. Well, was, and it, the Marilyn whoever thing. Yeah. Jackie from Kennedy. That bra, yes, that bra mm-hmm. campaign. All and the- they actually showed a picture of that um, campaign when Paul was in his... I guess Paul masturbated looking at that. I don't really wow. know. Wow. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> right? Like, he pulled that out and when he was unbuttoning his pants. <laughs> The curly hair and the, I don't know, it made me think of um, The Way We Were. I don't know if either of you have seen that movie, but I like, haven't. like, um, Robert Redford and, and, um, Perhaps uh, Barbara Streisand. Yeah, Barbara Streisand. I couldn't think of Streisand for some reason. Um, basically, gonna... she's, she's like her, his complicated partner, and then like, it's just like too much and there's a like at the beginning she has just like this wild curly hair and I just felt that that was like a similar you know this emotional person has this like wild hair and then the perfect Mm, person mm -hmm. is like put together and that's like I don't know it just felt similar yeah 
It's a good movie. Everyone should watch it. But, like, bring tissues mm-hmm. for crying. <laughs> Sorry. Thank you for adding <laughs> adding that in the context of well, kids in this It episode. was relevant. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't want to skip this. I didn't know if, Matt, you wanted to talk about Adam again. Yeah, I just, I thought it was interesting and it, it stood out to me when, um... Don's ostensibly driving Suzanne's brother to to the job that Suzanne got him in in Massachusetts, and he's like, "Dude, I'm not going to that job. They're gonna find out, you know, I'm I'm epileptic. They're not gonna know what to do with me. They're night, you know what I mean. And I'm gonna end up getting fired again. So I'm gonna, you know, let me out here. I'm not going to that job. I'm gonna go figure out my own path in my own way." Um, and Don's when Don pulls over and they're having this conversation and he ultimately lets Suzanne's brother go, whose name I, I forgot, I apologize. Um, Don says he, that he won't he won't do the same thing again or he's going to do this right this time. And he's clearly talking about Adam, which shows that that uh, Adam Whitman, his his little brother, um, which shows that Don is still carrying around that hurt and that grief locked away like the box um deep down kind of inside and tries to like do it differently and and gives him some money and gives him some some very don draper advice to you know just keep swimming like like dory and and finding nemo right just to kind of keep moving forward and you know don't look back etc etc so um yeah i just wanted to kind of the, the episode called back to that so i wanted to call that call back to that as well especially with the the reveal of betty un- unlocking the box of, yes. of memories and treasures and you know everything else before that i wanted to say it was weird that don just like let you said his name was danny was danny out like in the middle of nowhere like at least take him to a bus stop or something <laughs> that was <laughs> that i mean it's fine but i was like that's not helpful Um, When Don came back to, I thought it was interesting that the way that they filmed it was like, you didn't know which door he was going to walk into. Because I believe the Draper residence might also have a greenish door. I don't remember now. It's red. But yeah, it's dark. It's like that dark. (laughs) No, no, no. But that's the way it's like cut. No, I totally agree. Like they don't show it and they, they like make it so you don't know if he's going home to Betty or... Um, to Suzanne's home and uh, and he goes to Suzanne's home and um, after all of this happens he starts kissing her and she's like no I don't want to and he's like that's fine and I'm just like I felt like Melissa has, had mentioned in previous episodes where you're like happy that Don did the bare minimum mm-hmm. of like not doing something bad <laughs> like oh, great, he didn't pressure her into having sex. But I'm like, that is not special behavior. That is how most people, how everyone should act. And I was like, I felt like the show, like, tricked me into... Giving him, like, credit for that. Yeah, (laughs) giving Don credit. Also, like, okay, now you have a big lie in this relationship. That's not going away. Yeah, right. Like, Don, you are just, ugh. Yeah. So I guess I read the rest of the episode is the party. Yeah. Yeah. So this 
40th anniversary party for Sterling Cooper. Don is being honored. Um, I thought it was funny when Roger was reading his his introduction to Don, and he like was like, "I'm not reading all of these awards." He's so snarky. <laughs> I thought it was kind of. He'd be a good MC at a roast. Yeah, like I felt like it was appropriate for the room. Oh yeah, for sure. And I just think it's funny how Roger like hates Don now, but it's only because he finally realizes that Don doesn't like him and isn't gonna like him, and like put in his contract that he couldn't talk to him. <laughs> yeah, which made Roger calling Don a friend in the introduction to be like really loaded, and I was like, mm-hmm. yeah, not so much. Um, I yeah, thought like he hates you. When um when Roger said that Sterling Cooper gets the lion's share of Don's um time, I was like I tried to figure it out and I was like, I think Don gives like forty percent of his time to work, thirty percent home, and then thirty percent to like whatever BS he has going on. Mm-hmm. I would I would definitely agree with that. Um which is like 40% isn't that much, but it's still the most out of all the other categories. Right. So I guess, and it's like, that's going to ring true to Betty at least because Don covers all his lies with work. Right. So it doesn't come off as like not matching up with his stories. Ugh, yeah. Um, I have some comments about Don regarding his work. Um, when they do the commercial at the beginning of the episode and he's like, oh, every time you say and then it gives the ladies at home a chance to misunderstand. I'm like, Don, honestly, fuck you. Like, these women are raising your children. You literally think they can't follow a 60-second storyline in a commercial? Get real. Like, just stop. I just don't like you. Um, And then this other thing, which we're going to talk about a little bit, um, Lane coming in with his bonus and saying, like, see, I don't just fire people. Ha ha. One episode after Don fires Sal and we like never see him again feels kind of to me like an intentional, like cruel reference that the show is making to that. Because I think just because I'm kind of mad at the show and I like think that it's being mean and it's writing for no reason. But I'm like, ha ha, it's funny. We all fire people like we're like we're literally not going to see the only queer character on the show again. And because Don fired him. LOL. Jokes. Yeah, when I was watching, that didn't occur to me at the time, but I definitely see that now. Um, I just, I took it as the, you know, Lane trimmed the company at 22 or whatever percent it was. And that's why um, the London office is now able to uh, put it up for sale. Yeah, for sure. And I that's that's definitely like that's definitely yeah. what the show itself is referencing. I think that that's part of what's interesting about going back to the show with like different sensibilities um because I'm sure when they were writing this even though it was 2009, like what are you you know what I mean? Like yeah. I just it it just occurred to me right now um because I was thinking about how when Don gets up for his honor, he kisses his wife, he does the whole bit. And I'm like, this is what Lane wants. This is his American dream. And it's mm-hmm. like everything that Don Draper has. And is so unsatisfied with that he has to continuously like try to run for something else. Anyway, that like just hit me. Yeah. So I think as far as like full episode stuff, like I think we did it. We did the thing. Bits and bobs. 
bits and bobs. So my first one here, I just kind of added, we, we, we uh, tweeted about it earlier from the uh, Still Great Bob Twitter account, but uh, I really liked Suzanne's costuming all throughout this episode. It felt very, very mod cloth, and I, I, I dug it. I would have loved to worn those outfits, so I definitely agree with you. That nice like cardigan sweater thing which she come that she wore to school. It's nice. With Janie Bryant, good costume designer. I think I talked about this last time I was on when the episode I was on talked about money. I love to see how much money um things that are referenced in the episode um oh, yeah. mean today. So Don gets his signing bonus at the beginning of the episode, which was five thousand dollars and i was like shocked to find out that's about forty two thousand five hundred dollars in 2021 money Damn. And I was like, that is a lot of money and i'm like wondering if that was a lot like for that industry or if that was standard i don't know i didn't i didn't really look that up and then um suzanne gives her brother 375 dollars which like in the moment didn't feel like that significant i don't to me it didn't but i looked that up and that's like over three thousand dollars which if they had said three thousand dollars i would have been like what that's very generous of her okay um i found it really interesting that um they just threw in this whole storyline with suzanne's brother having Mm -hmm. epilepsy and how it was really hard for him to keep a job and um Don's reaction to it was like you can fix this you can try harder and I feel that oftentimes people who are able to work through their disabilities are highlighted in society which makes people who are unable to um, work through them to seem like abnormal like able bodies are the norm in our society and the people that can't live up to that are ignored And that's just something that I don't know if that was their intention to point that out, but that really, I mean, it wasn't like an entire, I don't think it was like super overt. It might've been a little subtle, but I found that to be an interesting point. And I think too, in the context of the United States, I don't think there were any sort of like, protections for workers um who had who lived with disabilities um to not be discriminated at work until like the early 1990s and even then those those supports and i can't remember the name of the act i was looking this up the other day and i, I forgot to write it down i can't remember the, the name of the specific act yeah i think that was it um but even then it's 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 flawed in and of itself and like the protections aren't aren't strong enough but you put it constantly it was like until like 30 years later there weren't any kind of government protections for for workers like danny who have epilepsy is really frustrating and i, and I did too appreciate danny's comment about how there's a high likelihood that julius caesar was was epileptic and and he ruled rome so you don't have to be able-bodied to you know succeed but you also do at the same time because of how we've structured society since then so yeah cosine i don't think i have anything more to say 
Yeah. I don't think I do either. I think we did it. I think we did it. All right. Elise, thank you so much for stepping in and, and pinch hitting for us this week. If our listeners wanted to find more of you on the internet, where could they do so? Oh, yes. Um, you can find me on Twitter at, at Elise underscore Tendi at E-L-Y-S-E underscore T-E-N-D-I. Perfect. Melissa, where can folks find more of you on the internet? As always, you can find me on Twitter at Mellow Yellow, which is M-E-L-L-O-O Yellow, or you can find me co-hosting the Wild Pretty Things podcast. Um, Yeah, we just did our best of 2020. We have a TV episode and a movies episode uh, co-starring Matt, who you just listened to on this podcast. Um, And I know that we'll have some cool stuff coming for 2021, too. So there's that. Yeah, I didn't realize how many new movies in 2020 I didn't watch until, you know, we did that podcast. But I don't know. I think it ended up turning out okay. I like I like breaking Jarrett's rules on the podcast and in the middle of air. So that's always fun. <laughs> yeah, I do that too. It, it, is, it is a fun experience. <laughs> you can find more of me on the internet at Twitter and at, at Mattyhue, M-A-T-T-Y-H-U-G-H. You can follow the podcast on Twitter as well at at StillGreatPod. And you can also email the podcast at StillGreatBob at gmail.com. As always, please rate and review us on the podcatching system of your choice. And once again, thank you to DJ Empirical for our theme. Yeah. Bye. We'll see you next time. Later days. Good night, folks. Puppies.